I was a uh, practicing clinician working in a home health agency model. I wasn't allowed to dose my patients as per best practice guidelines. So I said, there's gotta be a way to do this better. My, my grandmother and my grandfather, I started seeing them going in and out of long-term care. It started personal seeing the sick side of 80, and now it's been exciting to be part of Fox. Light bulb moment, like that's a complete game changer. You can see what we can do as a practice and as treating clinicians to really make 80, 85 look so much different than it did back that long ago. And boil it down into one say, it's quite simply this, it's be stronger, live better longer. Welcome to Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, the podcast dedicated to clinicians who work with older adults. My name is Jim Shear, and today I am joined by Fox physical therapist, Loren Dillon. Loren, welcome to the show. Hi, Jim. Thank you for having me. I want to know, did you by chance grow up in the 80s or early 90s? Yeah, I'm an 80s girl. Okay, yeah. because yeah, I think it was the movie Predator, and okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger stars in that movie, and there's a character named Dylan in it, so whenever I hear Dylan, I think of Arnold Schwarzenegger shouting Dylan, Dylan! Oh, Dylan! <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that movie scared me so bad. Like I, I couldn't watch it. I, I think that was a movie that I watched between my fingers. You know, like slits in my fingers yes. with the lights on and changing the channels between <laughs> between scary. Because the predator monster was so scary. He had all those it teeth. So scary. And it's funny because now it's like a joke. You know, with the CGI and <laughs> yes. So, Loren, if we were friends, you would probably get sick of me because I would just shout, Dylan, Dylan, get to the chopper. All right. So anyway, we're, we're not here to talk about Predator. We're here to talk about the vestibular system. So, Loren, yeah. I always start off very basic, very 101. So non-clinicians can kind of get on board. Seasoned clinicians probably hate this part of the show. They're like, shut up, get to the good stuff. But... Can you give us a quick 101 on the vestibular system? I sure can. So when, we, when we're talking about the vestibular system, we're referring to the inner ear. It's a, it's a labyrinth, really. It's also referred to the labyrinth, synonymous with inner ear, vestibular system. And it basically is this vestibular organ and a little cochlea. The cochlea is the hearing portion that gives information to your brain for hearing. And then right next to it are these three semicircular canals and two otolith organs that comprise the vestibular labyrinth or the vestibular system is what we refer to. And the three semicircular canals, basically there's a anterior, horizontal and posterior, and they're responsible for sensing angular acceleration and deceleration. So like of your head specifically. So when you're in the car and you rapidly turn a corner, and you feel that motion, that is an angular acceleration or deceleration, okay? So that's sort of the sensation. Each semicircular canal at the base is articulating with one of the two otolith organs called the utricle, not the saccule, but the utricle. And each semicircular canal has this sort of bulbed or dilated ending, and that houses sensory tissue, which are these cilia, these little hair cells that are encased, we call it a cupula, mm -hmm. and that's basically a membrane. And in a healthy cupula, it, the weight should be the same as 
the surrounding uh, fluid or endolymph. So the hair, shell, the hair cells really should not displace by gravitational forces only. So like tipping your head shouldn't typically cause those hair cells to move, which would be like an excitation. It's, um, you know, really the displacement of the cupula means that the head is turned and you have that angular acceleration or deceleration rather than a simple position change. So then those two otolith organs, right, we talked about, so there's three semicircular and two otolith organs. Those are sac-like structures and it's it's called the utricle, which is horizontally oriented in a saccule vertical. And these are more responsible for sensing linear acceleration forces and position changes in space. So for example, if you're on a train or an elevator, you're going to be simulating your otolith, the train being horizontal, that would be the utricle, the elevator vertical being the saccule. So otoconia, these little crystals are layered over this membrane on little hair cells. And this is sensitive to gravity, unlike the semicircular canals. So um, changes in head position displace the otoconia and move those little hair cells. So the labyrinth as a whole is very small. It's very delicate. It's like the size of a dime. And there's one on each side. There's a right and the left. And they're independent of each other, but they function, you know, they're a functional pair. It's protected by a bony shell. Uh, it's embedded in the petrous portion of the temporal bone, which is a, basically a very, very strong and uh, protective encasement. And uh, under the, the little bony outer layer is, is what we call perilymph. And then the membranes of the semicircular canals, which is really the size of a capillary. They are tiny, very tiny, very delicate. And then endolymph, which is a fluid. So it's a fluid-based system. And people affectionately refer to it as like a plumbing. There's a plumbing issue in your inner ear. It's kind of fluid-based. So, but that's, it's how we balance ourselves, right? It's how we balance ourselves. The right and the left are a functional pair. So they work together to give the brain information along with other, like vision and, and your proprioception, your ankles, joints, and your muscles. Um, those all give your brain information and the brain organizes it and creates a balance reaction. You said delicate a handful of times. Yes. Isn't it crazy that we have this delicate system that controls our balance? It's amazing, actually. And when you see these little models, you know, they have these models of vestibular organs encased in glass. You can really get a sense of it's almost it almost looks like you could blow on it and it would it would crumble. So it is it is absolutely delicate, tiny and responsible for so much of what we do every day. And how does it change as someone gets older? So that's a great question. And I'll start by saying that, you know, it's important to consider that there are age related changes, as we all know and experience that as we get older, that do not represent pathology like graying of your hair, right? That's a non-pathological age-related change. So there are age-related changes, but they don't necessarily mean that there's pathology. So that's just a distinction I like to make. But as we age, there is a linear decline in hair cells over time, both in the canals and in the otoliths. So what that means is, um, and it's more so in the canals, it's a natural degeneration of the system. Um, the nerves also, there's neuronal degeneration, um, at the vestibular nucleus and the cerebellum. So there is erosion over time with age. But again, that in and of itself is, is not considered a pathology. Um, also, those little crystals I was referring to, those otoconia, they can decay and fissure as we age. So um, you'll see that more in females who have like bone density 
depletion or bone demineralization like osteopenia or osteoporosis, those linking filaments that hold the particles together are going to weaken as we age. So you might see more releasing of those particles in the inner ear. Is there anything we can do to preserve the vestibular system or take care of it? I mean, yeah, you know, certainly because it's a fluid-based system, being well hydrated. Um, there's a lot of studies about, you know, vitamin D supplementation, definitely um, exercise, um, staying active. Isn't it wild that whatever you're talking about in health, if you exercise, 99% of the time it usually helps you? Literally every ailment. <laughs> Literally every, everything, physical, psychological, emotional, like all of it is impacted positively by exercise. It's amazing. Because I can't tell you how many episodes of this podcast I've done. And it always ends with that. If you, yeah. ex if you exercise, it'll help you. It almost sounds like we're saying something like, how can that be true? But <laughs> truly, you know, if it's physical, it's therapy. I mean, if it's, it's. Yes. I think it's true. So, Loren, what are some common disorders that <laughs> might impact older adults? So we all age and you can't yeah. prevent that. So like you said, over time, you know, the vestibular system ages too. So what disorders impact older adults? Well, I mean, the number one otologic inner ear disorder causing vertigo is called positional vertigo, BPPV. Um, it's pretty much agreed upon that this is the number one cause of dizziness in people over the age of 60. So 50% of people who are over 70 are going to get it. And we can compare that to something like orthostatic hypotension, which is present in up to 20% of people over the age of 65. And while that's not exactly comparing apples to apples, it's interesting to note because most people will be like, oh, I get dizzy when I stand up. And it's just a very different mechanism. So BPPV, I would say, is what we're going to mostly encounter. And, um, you know, depending on the sources that you read, you know, between 9 and 11%. So we'll say like 10, there's a 10% prevalence of positional vertigo in older adults, whether they're aware or not. And they might not be aware of it simply because they're avoiding provoking situations. They've sort of intuitively figured out like, oh, if I bend over, it makes me uncomfortable. So I'm just not going to do that. And so they just might not be aware. Yeah. How do you treat someone that has a disorder like that? How do you treat someone? I mean, so it depends, you know, if they have positional vertigo, you're going to do an assessment, which is a regular PT exam, head to toe, followed by specialized testing that includes positional testing. So if you can confirm a diagnosis of positional vertigo or BPPV, you are determining which side the problem is on because it's a sided problem. There's a right and there's a left. You're determining which semicircular canal the crystals are moving in, the anterior, posterior, or horizontal, or mixed. You know, you can have more than one canal or bilateral or bilateral and mixed. So you're figuring out where the problem is so that you can determine the most appropriate maneuver. Maneuver selection is very important. I mean, we do know that it's most likely to be the posterior canal. And we could even take that one step further and say, it's most likely to be on the right side, but we don't know that. And certainly, you know, older individuals bring more clinical complexity to the table. So you have to consider all of that in your treatment. And then how do you treat someone? So you, you go through this test and let's say you determine that it's on the right side. 
Right. Then how do you treat that patient? Are there exercises they can do? Are there things they should avoid? Yeah. So ultimately, I, I, we don't want people avoiding, but you know, that there's always, there's, there's always exceptions, but um, the treatment is once you determine, let's say it's a right-sided and we'll say it's the posterior canal, the gold standard in care is a maneuver called the Epley maneuver and the physical therapist or the therapist you're working with will take you through a series of positions where you're basically moving the patient's head with respect to gravity to realign those little crystals back to where they, you know, where they need to be. So you put them back basically because they're floating around and that's what's causing the discomfort. So the maneuver repositions them again, depending on the canal and the side is what will determine the maneuver. The United States seems to prefer the Epley maneuver in Europe. They seem to prefer something called the Samant or Liberteur. Sometimes I'll start with the Epley and move to the Samant, um, but there's certainly other maneuvers and techniques and nuances that you, you know, that you can implement to make your treatments more effective. So once, once the crystals are in place, Mm -hmm. do they stay in place? Uh, We hope that they do. There is a, a recurrence. I think it's, Oh gosh, I don't remember the numbers, but maybe like 50% recurrence within five years is possibly the number. So people can recur and it also depends why you have it. Like if you got it from a head trauma, you're more likely to have a recurrence. Very often just one treatment resolves the problem and you're on your merry way. You know, the therapist will have to assess to see if a home maneuver is appropriate, you know, for that individual, but hopefully um, an effective an effective intervention is going to resolve the problem. And I would think that a fall could affect the vestibular system. Would I be correct? You are correct. Um, yes. Yeah. So it, it actually works. It's interesting. It works both ways. So people who have vestibular dysfunction are 12 times, I think, more likely to have a fall. But if you fall and you hit your head or you have like a whiplash type of situation where a force is transmitted to your head, that can release those particles or crystals and cause this positional vertigo, therefore leading to dizziness and vertigo and potentially resulting in fall. So it's it's sort of like this circular pattern, which is unfortunate. So breaking that pattern is extremely important. Yes, because we talked about exercise earlier And then we also hear the importance of falls prevention. So this is another reason that if you can prevent a fall, and you can prevent falls, that this would help you out immensely as you age. Absolutely. Fall prevention is the key as we get older. And that's just the reality. We have to embrace that. We want to preserve mobility and function. We want to preserve older individuals having a robust and dynamic, you know, physical life, but we also want to preserve that within the context of safety and preventing falls. And Loren, do you know the main cause of vestibular disorders? Like, obviously, (laughs) we know the physical, if there's like a whiplash or anything, but is, are there any disorders that are genetic? Sure. I mean, there's genetic components, even to positional vertigo, depending on what the vestibular the reason for your dysfunction is. Um, As a vestibular therapist, we're always trying to kind of put people into one of two categories. Is it central, like from the brain or peripheral from the inner ear? So, you know, there's all, there's all sorts of genetic factors that contribute to that. Absolutely. 
Loren, you've been dropping some major knowledge today. So it's <laughs> it's obvious, obviously, you know what you're talking about. So I need to know what got yeah. you interested in the vestibular system to the point to the point where you became a vestibular therapist. Right. I mean, I'm just a regular PT like anyone else. Right. But when I was in school and we had our neuro section back in those days, because that was back in 2000 when I graduated at that time, um, the vestibular chapter was literally like one chapter. It was very it was minuscule. We we went over it and I thought, oh, that sounds pretty neat. But we had a um, our senior internship, like the end, you know, it was, it was my last rotation and my neuro professor recognized my interest in that vestibular module and was um, able to recommend a student to go to a clinical internship program at NYU Balance and Vestibular Clinic. And at that time, that was the, like the only game in town. There was NYU and there was, I think Emory had a, had it down at, at Emory. So um, it was a coveted, you know, position and he recommended me and I got the spot and I was basically hooked. I thought it was just so cool. So since that time, just, just every year, I constantly just took courses and tried to, you know, hone my skills and build my expertise because not, not working, you know, a lot of therapists take courses, but not having that experience in a, in a setting where that's all you're seeing can sort of work against building a therapist's confidence and actually treating a real life patient. So I attribute my ability to actually work with patients with vestibular problems to that experience at NYU because it was it was there that I really shaped how I approach uh, patient care for this for this population. Now, before you got to NYU, because you said that your professor noticed that you had an interest in it. What yeah. what what was it about the vestibular system? What got you excited? Um, what got you interested? I don't know, man. I I mean, I just in the class, I think I just was was sort of asking a lot of questions and thinking, you know, hey, I mean, this is something we're all um, it re it applies to all of us at the time, and it's a long time ago. I don't know why <laughs> I thought it was interesting, but something definitely drew me to it, where I was just more invested than the rest of my peers. I just. I just thought it was, it was neat. I, I don't really have a great, you know, Genesis <laughs> story where like I had, although over the years, I myself have had positional vertigo two or three separate times. Once because of a head injury, I was on a ski trip. I hit my head and I had it. So I treated it that night. It was amazing because it was really bad. And I, I was able to treat myself, thank God. And then I've had it, I think twice since then. So, um, I can really empathize with what people go through. It's it can be very debilitating. Well, speaking of the Predator movie, that was yeah. very Predator like of you to treat your own injury. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Loren, we're gonna take a quick break, okay. and I'm gonna put you through a a, a challenge when we come okay. back. Just just because you kind of led me into it. So, if nobody knows what I'm talking about, find out next right here on the Live Better Longer podcast. All right, as we take a quick water break and uh, give Loren a moment to rest her brain, just want to wish a happy PT month to all of the physical therapists out there. So just a reminder, all month long on Fox Rehabilitation's social media channels, I'm talking Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, 
the artist formerly known as Twitter, now known as X, TikTok, all that good stuff. We will be highlighting our spectacular Fox Rehabilitation physical therapist. So make sure to follow us if you don't already and follow the PT action during Physical Therapy Month on Fox Rehabilitation's social media channels. We are back on Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast. I am chatting with Fox physical therapist, Loren Dillon, who is also a vestibular therapist. So Loren, I I hate to do this, but there's a reason I do it. Okay. So (laughs) when I started in the world of healthcare, I'm I'm a rookie. How, how, How many years have you been in it? Um, well, I graduated in 2000, so I guess that brings me to 22 years. Wow. Coming yeah. coming up on your silver anniversary. It's been a minute, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it a shame? Because you were talking about the early 2000s, and you referred to those as back in the day. Yeah, back in the day for me, you know. No, but that it's, it is. I mean, but you think about it, 2000s is now back right. in the day. I, I think I saw something somewhere I don't even know what it was, but it's like the the 70s were as long ago for us as oh, the 50s were. Yes, like yes. Don't, I, I, hate, I hate when people do that because I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. All right. So in the first segment, you mentioned BPBV, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is an acronym for what? I didn't say what it was for. Shame on me. Um, benign, so not life-threatening. Paroxysmal, it comes and goes, turns on and off, right? Positional, it's related to the position of your head with respect to gravity. Vertigo, the sense of motion when you know, in fact, there is none. So that is one of many acronyms thrown around in the healthcare world. So when I started, all of these acronyms were coming at me and Uh I couldn't understand them. So (laughs) what I decided to do, kind of to educate myself, I put clinicians from time to time through the acronym challenge. So would you, would you like to take the acronym challenge today? Um, sure. I'm up for it. Now here's the thing. (laughs) I, I don't know these. I pluck these off the internet. So it's not like I'm trying to get you. I'll try. I'll do my best. And we've, we've had seasoned clinicians come in and they've missed a couple on the acronym challenge just because maybe they don't deal with these acronyms on a day-to-day basis. Okay. <laughs> and if you miss them, if you miss them, it kind of makes me feel better. Okay. So that's that's the <laughs> silver lining. It makes We're gonna me humble f- ourselves today. Yeah, I'm like less intimidated of like the healthcare no, world. No, no, that's great. I'm up for it. So Let's you you it. you should try to miss some on purpose just to make me feel better. Just to make you feel better. Okay, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Acronym challenge. First one. Here we go. A C J. Ugh. ACJ. I mean, once again, I don't know, but I yanked this off a website. I'm I'm gonna guess. Can I guess? Yes. Yes. Okay. Acute. Acute. Cervical. (laughs) I don't know. Not. I have no idea. And maybe, maybe there are regional acronyms. Maybe. You know, maybe in the south. Yeah. So. So this is ACJ. What is it? Acromioclavicular joint. Okay. I, I literally actually would never have known that. So thank you. For, oh, a chromioclavicular joint. Is that what you're 
Oh, oh, wait, oh, wait. So, wait, I've been saying it wrong for years. Wait, a chromio. <laughs> so, a chromio clavicular joint. Yes, a chromio. It's the acromion uh, where it articulates with the clavicle. All right. So, so the reason I yanked this I think one I just out. just redeemed myself. <laughs> no, you did. You did. A chromio. Hold on. So, speaking, speaking of the year 2000, mm -hmm. I was actually working at a cemetery. So I had oh, graduated wow. with a master's degree, but I couldn't find a job in Pittsburgh. So I was working with my brothers at a cemetery just to make some extra spending money. Uh -huh. And the only thing I was looking forward to that summer was seeing the Beastie Boys and Rage Against the Machine out on the Rhyme and Reason tour. That's awesome. So I bought so tickets. Cool. I was ready to see them. But then Michael Diamond in New York City went on a bicycle ride. He got into an accident and he had an acromio clavicular joint dislocation. So Loren, yes, what is an acromioclavicular joint dislocation? So it's where the acromion, which is a part of your, like it's the, the lateral part of your clavicle, which the clavicle is if you're touching your neck and it's that long bone that lays horizontally above your chest, right? And, um, it's basically, if you follow it out to the end, it's where it articulates. It's that little joint at the end. <gasps> oh, so like at the end of the collarbone where it meets the shoulder? Yes. Oh, so that's what he messed up. Yeah. Do you know I also made a song about that experience? Are and, you going to sing it And me? I rhymed. I rhymed it, <laughs> but now I, I said it wrong. I called oh, it no. acromicular. Um, what was the rhyme? It was... um. A tear of sadness swept the nation, acromere clavicular joint dislocation. But it's, I should have said, acromio clavicular joint dislocation. That's very, that's very Beastie Boys influence. <laughs> I, can, I can hear your, you know, early 2000s. Uh, <laughs> the song was called, Why Did Mike? <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the course went, Why did Mike have to ride that bike? Why did Mike have to ride that bike? All right. So I think you redeemed yourself, even though you missed the acronym. Yeah. The whole diagnosis was amazing. All right. I got two more. <laughs> Sorry if I'm keeping you two. Do you have a heart out today, Loren? We're good. All right. Let's all right. All right. F W B. Oh, my. Full weight bear. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Now, was that was that, an e was that an was that an easy one? That was an easy one. Okay. Yes. All right. One more, and this one just okay. made this one just made me giggle. I don't know why you would need an acronym for this, but there is an acronym for this. M H P. M H Moist Hot Pack. Yes. Yes. Now why why do they have an acronym for that? I hate acronyms if it's the same amount of syllables. M H P Moist Hot Pack. Why would you have to have an acronym for that? That is a weird one. Yeah, I don't know. You don't know. All right. Do you use Moist Hot Packs in your day-to-day -day treatment of older adult patients? Um, no, that's something I, I'm more used when I was in a clinic setting. So they, they have these big hydrocolators filled with water and hot packs lined up, uh, between these little metal rings and it, it creates a heat, you know, a moist heat, which basically is very soothing and nice. And in that setting where they say, Hey, Tina, get me an MHP. No, never. Literally never. It, MHP is only in the documentation, but in the clinic setting, it would be, hey, oh. Tina, grab me a hot pack. Sling me a hot pack. <laughs> Sling me a hot pack. You actually, you just kind of opened my eyes. You probably have 
these acronyms for the documentation so you don't have to type out moist hot exactly. pack. All right. I've right. been educated and today. Nobody would ever say that. I, don't, I literally don't think anybody would ever say that. So, <laughs> no. Well, no. Loren, it was a pleasure. We'll have to do this again. <laughs> Sounds good, Jim. Thank you. So for Loren Dillon, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yins later. Shoulder. Yeah.